Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Special Operations. Covert Ops. Espionage. The Team House. With your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Team House. This is episode 133. I'm Jack Murphy here with Dave Park. Today, we have a special guest on the show joining us live from Santiago, Chile. He is a former special operations soldier in his country's military. John, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Jack, Dave, hi guys! It, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Um, yeah, I'm super excited, and thanks guys for having me. John spent—he's uh, been in the military for 20 years. He's spent 16 of that in the special operations community down there. And we really like on the team house to highlight our partner forces, our our allies and uh, partners overseas. We kind of don't do enough of it sometimes, but we've we've talked about the Filipino forces on here. We've had some of our European allies on here, um, but we don't get so often these opportunities to talk to our partners down in South America. So I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thanks. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I reckon there is like a language barrier there, but, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, John, if you could, I'd like to ask you about your origin story. I'd like you to tell us about your upbringing in, in Chile and what that path was that brought you towards the military. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, th- there are no militaries uh, on either side of my family at all. So, so I was the first one which was super weird for everyone when I, when I picked up this uh, career path. Um, so, yeah, well, where can I start? Like, um, I would say high school, I was in, like, the best behave, I would say. So uh, when I was uh, at high school, there was this, call, this thing called detention. I don't know if you guys got it in the U.S. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah, you misbehave. <laughs> okay, if you misbehave over here, you have to go to school on Saturdays and spend uh, all the morning till midday doing something around school. So I, I spent most of my weekends, uh, Saturdays there. <laughs> and I had like these teachers that made, a, made me pick a book from the library and then write a summary. Uh, so I was uh, 
looking around the hallways on the library and I started finding these uh, World War II books. And some of them were uh, on, uh, I don't know, different stories of World War II, like, like Blitzkrieg or uh, the SAS or something like the OSS or like those stories. So I started reading that and then, then I became fascinated by uh, small teams and SF and the whole World War II thing uh, with the special forces. So when I turned 18, as I don't know, most kids, I, I wasn't sure what was, uh, what was my next move. Um, so then I decided, okay, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, I'm going to try for this. I wasn't like very mature for going to college. So I thought that I wasn't very disciplined at all. So I thought like, yeah, I definitely could use some of that. So I applied and uh, yeah, and that, that started my, my career path. And uh, as soon as I was able, I applied for SF. And fortunately I graduated from SF. So I made my whole career uh, within the team. So that's how it started. Could you tell us about what that process was uh, for you as a, as a young man in your country and what that pipeline looked like? Um, back and presumably we're talking what early nineties that you were going through this. Uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, let's see, nineteen ninety nine actually. Okay. Uh, when uh, yeah, my my last uh, ninety eight was my last uh, high school uh, year. Then ninety nine, I went in, and um, there, there, there are like a couple of paths over here to to start your career. So I went uh, to the officers path. Um, and it took me four years in, in, in one of our academies. I uh, graduated and then applied to SF. Uh, it was the best decision I've ever made. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we weren't like um, a lot of us applying for it. Um, but yeah, it, it was hard at the beginning. And that started the next, uh, after I applied for SF, which took me roughly, I would say, a year or so. All the tests, all the admin things, and, and, and like, like all the clearance, and then um, and then yeah, so I, I got accepted uh, to the what would be pretty much our version of the uh, Navy's uh, Marsog Marine Force Recon kind of ish uh, course. Now, did you pick? <clears throat> did you pick a branch? Like I want to go in the Army SF or the Navy SF, or did you? Is there like a general selection, and then they branch you off after that? Well, yeah. Well, this was 15, 16 years ago, so I reckon that's pretty different right now. But uh, when I applied, it was like uh, pretty much you wouldn't know where, where, where you were going to be sent. So, so it turns out that I was like six or seven months before they told me, "Yeah, you're going to the Navy," and and that's it. Oh, so in in Chile, then when you not when you apply or whatever, you apply to the military in general, but not necessarily to a specific branch. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay, that's interesting. And so, what was the selection course like? Um, so like I reckon that uh, like the tests are pretty much standard uh, since it's, it was a Navy uh, course. It was uh, focused on on water. Um, just making sure you wouldn't drown, uh, and then some rocking, and then some some fitness test and general strength, and it, it was hard. But not many guys quit it at that uh, at that point. 
Um, so a whole bunch of us got accepted. Um, I reckon it was uh, roughly around, I don't know, 60-ish guys in total. And, uh, and then we started uh, first day. And uh, any SF first day, man, it lasts forever. So, <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it was super cool. I mean, there was this, the whole bell thing and, and, like, everything was very well set up. And I, I really loved it. Um, I even had um, a U.S. Uh, instructor there for the whole process. It was, um, yeah, I was a Marine Force recon guy. We, we still text each other. Awesome guy. Uh, he, he retired as well, but, but we still keep uh, in touch with each other every now and then. So, yeah, and then it, it started, and, and then slowly but surely, uh, a lot of guys start uh, uh, ringing the bell. And... Uh, well, you know how it is. I mean, it was it, it, like when someone rings the bell, man, it just, I'm still here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the process that John's talking about is, and they, I think they do this in Buzz too, but, but when you quit, you actually have to physically go up and ring yeah. the bell and you're announcing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're announcing that you're, you're quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Is, every single morning, like, like there, there would be like this, uh, I don't know how you guys call it, but it's kind of a small formation, I would say. And then the guys would have the chance to like ring the bell. So so there was a, a proper biggest navy ring uh, bell there. So yeah, it was cool. Which is a really, I think, a really tough way to quit. Like that would be so. If you were thinking about quitting, that would be the hardest. Like just that process alone <laughs> would keep me from quitting anything. If you had to go up, it's like standing in front of the formation, going, "Hey, everybody, yeah, it's, it's Dave. I'm I'm quitting." I remember, and I'm sure I've told this story before, but when, when I was uh, in the Ranger indoctrination program, one of the instructors did the opposite. They were smoking us all night, and they had us lay down on the, like, face first in the dirt. Right. And the guy starts giving us this speech. He's like, listen, men, you can be a good American and still quit this course. Yeah. You can be a good American, go serve <laughs> in another unit. Listen, everyone's looking straight down at the dirt. No one will see you quit. Yeah. You can just get up You right now. You can go eat an MRE over by the fire, and you can still be a great American somewhere <laughs> else. And, like, guys on either side of me got up and see, quit and right that, there. That's it. Like, that makes it easier. To me, that makes yeah, it easier yeah. to quit. You know, where, where you could just, like, yeah, sneak is. out. Right. Right. right? In the you dead just, of night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it's, I, I was... I was wondering, guys, uh, when when did you guys start your your SF pipelines? For me, you guys are both Rangers, right? For, for me, it was two thousand two. I, okay. I mean, I you know I did dive school in in like you know the late nineties, I guess seventy five, and then, and then uh, like Navy dive school, hard hat dive school. But yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Then Ranger, I was twenty seven, so that was like two thousand and. 14 no i'm just kidding um <laughs> no, no that was like 97 mm. so 89 i meant not 99 89 mm. and then 97 shit okay yeah cool yeah because this, this was my, my story starts on uh 05 so so i was 20 23 sheesh, yeah something so yeah by the, by the time you got into the uh, the actual pipeline yeah 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 absolutely because you were in the academy before that yep yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so um, before moving on, I would like to back up just a little bit and ask you about the history of Chilean Special Operations Forces, because it's something we don't know anything about. I would really like to hear about how the special operations capabilities came about and developed uh, in your nation. 
Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a super good question. Uh, I, I'm not by any means a history teacher or anything, but um, so, so it, it started around the 60s, like the early 60s, I would say, um, pretty much all around Latin America, and we were not the exception of it. Uh, so you guys, like, like uh, the Green Berets and, and the Rangers, came over and started setting up the program uh, for our forces. Uh, which was fully conventional, but there were some some pretty smart guys, uh, and, you know, uh, very smart. Uh, that they they start figuring out. Yeah, we need some specific capabilities here uh, for defense purposes. And uh, yeah, I reckon it was um, sixty, early sixty, sixty twos, up to maybe sixty eight, when they start developing all these. Um, I, we would call them X programs, so like like getting guys in and figuring out how how would we would set up a SF capability here, uh, and it was uh, all across uh, all services. I would uh, I would reckon, and um, and that's how it started. And then we adopted, which is super cool, because we adopted a lot of uh, traditions uh, from our uh, uh, Aborigines. I would say, like like from our uh, own uh, In- indigenous culture. Yeah, indi- yeah, indigenous uh, people that were here, because we were a colony uh, for a while. And, uh, and and so we were a, a Spanish colony, and then we had all our Aborigines uh, fighting for for because they didn't they, they didn't want the, the Spaniards uh, to conquer their their their, uh, uh, their their whatever it was it like it wasn't a country you know but so so those guys were like super smart and and they started uh, learning uh, how to do uh, how to apply guerrilla warfare uh, against the Spaniards. So we adopted that tradition, and, and they're like fascinating stories about them and how they start fighting these like fully armored horse riding guys, and 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 they started with uh, just stones and sticks, and slowly but surely they they start to learn how to use uh, weapons and use them against them, and like like pretty much uh, setting up ambushes and so on and so forth. So so we adopted a lot of those uh, cultural aspects, I would say, on on our SF. So that's how it started, I guess. And then what, um, what are the different special operations units in your country and their different capabilities? And if you could kind of cover that and how they sort of came about. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, well, like this is like you can Google all this. But so, um, yeah, every single branch got it. it it's SF units, uh, but it's mostly a joint effort. So, so uh, the guys work very close together and, and it's pretty much set up um, – the same way as the U.S. Uh, and the NATO forces would set up their, their, their SF um, and put them at the same roles and, and the standardized uh, set of missions for, for every single force. So um, it, it's it's pretty much the same. I would I would say that uh, uh, as how you guys and the NATO set up its uh, special forces. So do the different units have different names like the Navy SF? Do they have a different name than, say, the Army SF? Or are they just... So- yeah, generally, generally speaking, and, and this is not only for us, it's just uh, the whole thing around Latin America. We're, we're all called commandos uh, when, when we are serving. Um, and and uh, then it's got very, the very specified on, on its specific branch. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much commandos for, for every single guy that goes through uh, their uh, pipeline. Okay. Interesting. But but what are those different units? If you could kind of cover them, the the special op, family of special operations units in your country. 
Yeah, right. So, um, so the the army is the biggest one, of course. Uh, the army's got like commandos, which would be pretty much uh, like like the ranger units, uh, super specialized light uh, infantry. Uh, they got the SF units, um, like like uh, the Green Berets, and pretty much set up the same way. Uh, we've got specialized mountain units also. Uh, uh, paratroopers, uh, maybe I'm missing some of, uh, of our uh, guys over there, I'm not thinking. The Navy, we've got the SEALs and and, and, uh, and the MARSOC guys, uh, which was the path that I took. And and the Air Force, uh, they've got their own uh, SF as well. So so pretty much uh, that's that's how it's set up around. Like it's has got its own teams. Um, yeah. And is the Air Force unit set up sort of, sort of like the PJACCT model? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much, yeah. And what was the, I mean, uh, this is interesting because, you know, as you, you were t- telling us before we started the show, your country has really been pretty much at peace for 100 years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> th- yeah thank- thankfully, unlike many parts other parts of the world. Um, yeah, yeah. Your, nonetheless, your government and your military stood up these special operations capabilities. What were some of like the security threats that they saw that they envisioned these units responding to? Be it you know maybe communism during the 1960s or um, you know the the drug wars going on through the 80s and 90s to today. I mean, what what are some of those threats that they see you potentially responding to? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um... Honestly, I'm I'm not sure about that level of uh, of decision uh, that was made, but I reckon that the guys were, were, were like uh, back in the '60s, they they figured out that uh, mobility was was a big issue. Uh, we got a super long country um, and a very thin one. If if, if uh, like the others would like Google it, you'll see that it's uh, continental Chile. It's uh, a bit longer than four thousand five hundred and something kilometers. So it's pretty much coast to coast, uh, if you put it uh, over a map for, uh, of the U.S. and all across Europe, of course. Uh, so it's super long, but super thin. So therefore, you need to move guys super fast. And, and if, if there was uh, any security threat, uh, you need units that would be able to uh, perform and deliver within the driest deserts or within the southern snowish uh, places or uh, up in the mountains. Uh, super high mountains, actually. Uh, we're talking about way above 15,000 feet uh, above sea level. And, well, and the coast, of course. So so someone figured out, okay, we need some SF capability that can deploy quickly around all these areas and uh, be cap- be able and to fight on, on, on all those uh, scenarios. So, yeah, I reckon that, that was uh, the, the decision made. Cool. So then what was actually when you um... – Went through your training for you know to be uh, like a marine recon guy. Um, what was uh, what did the training consist of? What were some of the, the capabilities that you guys were trying to develop there? Well, yeah, back back then because again it was sixteen years ago. I don't know what, what the guys are doing right now, uh, but back then it was all direct action. I mean, it was all direct action oriented and, and uh, reconnaissance capabilities and like in special reconnaissance. Uh, Capability. So, so like the whole process was to build a team that was able to perform uh, those uh, mission packages uh, at a, a very high level. So, 
Yeah, roughly it was uh, 25 weeks or so long, mm-hmm. and uh, it starts uh, with uh, a lot of pool training, um, four weeks uh, training uh, on, on the first uh, phase. Uh, then, if you if you completed these these four weeks, you get a wetsuit, and then you start learning how to dive, and then how to combat dive. And then how to perform all the diving process as in combat-wise, uh, like night dives and all, all those uh, sort of things. And uh, and then you'll at that point you'll start uh, learning how to like do all your weapons or, or your demos um, or your planning. And then you'll go into a very long process of learning how to perform on all those. Uh, Scenarios and those terrains that I that, that I uh, explained you guys uh, before. So, uh, and that takes around roughly six six something months, and then you graduate from that, which is the, the hardest part. And then you go with the follow-on trainings, which is like pretty standard for any uh, uh, SF guy. And then you go static line, uh, free fall, the master, uh, and then some other schools if you're able to get your hands on. And then pretty much it's been 1.5 to two years pipeline, and then you, you're able to go and, and like start training with a with a, with a with a team. Wow, <clears throat> that's quite a pipeline. Yeah, I mean, due due to the yeah. di- diverse environment, um, yeah. that must be pretty challenging for your soft teams. That I'm I'm just envisioning in my mind, you must have guys who are able to do uh, maritime operations, high altitude mountaineering, you know, all these yep. different types of environments um, that you you have to contend with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it, it's quite challenging, uh, and for us, it's quite expensive. I would say when when I was with the teams, uh, it, it was super expensive to keep current current on, on all those uh, on all those uh, capabilities. I would say so. So yeah, but but it is it, it is what it is. I mean, it, it's what we got. So and, and we had to like mat, uh, maximize uh, the use of, of, of all those uh, terrains and, and and perform at an adequate level for an SF unit on all those uh, terrains. So, yeah. What's, uh, you said that you did uh, like static line and then a free fall or halo and then your jet yeah. master and then other schools, if you could get them for, for you guys, like what are the cherry schools? What are the schools that everybody <laughs> wants that you're jealous of when somebody else has it and you don't? Well, I, I was super lucky, Dave, because uh, I had at least, uh, I, I wasn't the brightest of course, but, but I was super like, uh, pushy i would say and, uh, <laughs> and i would like uh try harder uh as, as much as i could uh, to like overpass a uh, certain weakness i would say so i had pretty good um mentors uh while i was uh while i was uh, active with the teams so there was this uh colonel that that he was he, he figured out like hey, you are super young still to like be in command of a team so just go to schools and, and get experience there and, and then you will be able to like plan in your head bigger things and and, and that's the thing, like like get as much schools as, as you can in the first years because I was like super young uh, career-wise, I would say. Uh, so like the pretty much like the coolest, I would say, it's a mountains leader course, which is not just for SF. Everyone can go there, but the Army's got this sweetest... Uh, eight months mountain training um, and you do everything that's mountain related like rock climbing, ice climbing, um, 
and then some sweet three months ski course uh, over the Andes Mountains. So, so it, it's a super nice course, and, and yeah, I was super lucky, and I went through that course, and and I graduated from it. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, what? yeah, it's super cool, and and you go like to civilian ski resorts and everything. So it's it's oh, actually very... there you go. Now we know the real <laughs> yeah, yeah, reason. Because yeah. I was just going to ask you that, like, what are some of the 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 choices? Like, even if they're not, did you guys get to go to schools outside of Chile, like to other schools? Yeah, yeah. Every, every well, every now and then, um, yeah, like they're, they're still super expensive. But every now and then, there, there are some chances to like uh, get some training abroad, and. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there are a, a few, a few seats uh, around, and uh, they, they just, they just ask for English. So, so I, I, I got a couple of them. So. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Dave, you want to give a shout out to our sponsor for the show tonight? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, talking about water courses, what our, our partner tonight is ATAC Fitness, and ATAC puts out these great kits um, for swimmer training. So if you're preparing for a selection or if you're really just trying to get back in shape, and I think John can testify that <laughs> water is probably, it's it's one of the hardest elements, but it's also, it's also as you're getting older, if you're getting older, it's one of those things that won't break your body, like throwing on a rock or, or pounding pavement for 20 miles. Um, but they sell these great kits. They have these rocket fins, uh, really firm rubber, vented, open heel, great construction, um, to, to keep you in shape. Uh, their kits come with a couple different types of masks. They have these low profile masks or they have the high volume mask. If you need to practice your purging, you know, filling your mask, you remember that, right? Filling your mask with water and purging the water out, uh, snorkels. And then, and then they come with a couple pieces of line for your underwater knot tying, um, or, you know, your, your bedroom activities, you know, <laughs> your choice. Just remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I'll, def- I'll, I'll definitely take advantage of the Team 10 uh, at ADEC Fitness, dude, because I don't have any gear anymore, so... Oh, well, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Thanks you leave the, yeah. Yeah, the teams, you, you don't take the gear, so... No, well, in America you do, but you're not supposed to. Um, you just you just sneak out with it, or you take your buddy's gear and make him pay for it all. But ATACFitness.com, ATACFitness.com, promo code TEAM. 10 for 10% off. That's team 10 for 10% off. ATAC Fitness selection starts here. So, John, uh, tell us about when you uh, you finished. You told us a little bit about some of the more coveted schools. Um, but what was it like, you know, life in your unit once you got there? Um, yeah, at, at the beginning, because I was, again, super young. So, so it was hard. And then, um, yeah, I remember it was... It was super challenging because uh i reckon there is this uh barrier that you have to go through especially as a young officer uh and you have to like prove yourself i guess and and, and make sure that you guys uh will will follow you and, and not follow you because of your rank which is super easy so so i think that and i've talked to like my friends which are not sf and i i would say like the, the hardest leadership test is to graduate from whatever sf course because uh, at least over here, you, you you handle a number and, and you like put your num a number in your helmet, um, and it's based on how high you are. It's not based on the rank that you got when you you started the first day at the SF course or whatever course you're you're going through. So so then you have to like prove yourself within within your classmates and make sure that they'll support you 
and that you're able to lead them uh, on the whole course path, I would say. And then when you when when you start uh, when you go to the teams, uh, it's pretty much all over again. And then you have to prove yourself uh, and then take care of the guys and make sure that they get the proper training. And if they've got issues, uh, just be aware of it and, and try to help them, even though like with the limited tools that you've got. So. So it was challenging. I remember it like vividly. It was very, very hard uh, the first years. But then again, this guy that it was kind of my mentor back then, uh, he, he put me one of the oldest, uh, hardest, wisest uh, NCOs in my team. I didn't like him at the beginning because I wanted to do my thing, you know. <laughs> but uh, he was super bright and he put me uh, a very good NCO, second, uh, <clears throat> second in command of my team. And and it was awesome. Uh, I still text him every now and then, and, and he, he he retired a lot a long ago, and so he's doing his thing. But but he was awesome uh, at the I would I reckon uh, first four years of my career. So he was a, a very good also a very good mentor as an NCO for me. Were, were there any impressions you had as a young leader at what your job as a leader was or how you should act that changed as <clears throat> as you actually led troops? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's very interesting because um, there there are like fundamental difference as how we lead down here as uh, how you guys lead over in the U.S. I would say or, or some more advanced countries, if, if you will. So we tend to lead uh, from up front instead of leading from behind. I would say so. It's it's a lot of um, we take a lot of uh, the work from uh, let's say a staff sergeant in the US on one of your teams, I would say. So an officer, is, it's supposed to like do a lot of uh, what a sergeant would do, like a senior sergeant would do on one of your teams. Uh, so it's kind of uh, a bit different there. Uh, so it, it, it implies dominating, uh, I, I think, a little bit more on the technical issues, but then also uh, getting to the more admin political issues of uh, your role. So, so that's a, a little bit different, I would say, uh, between you guys and us. So, uh, so you have to take care of both, uh, both things, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so would you say, because I know that in the, in our military, you know, the NCOs are generally considered the backbone of the military because, as you said, they they do take a lot of those sort of supplementary yeah. leadership positions. So the officer has the bigger view, but maybe not the hands-on, where you're saying that as an officer there, you have both the hands-on and the bigger view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would yeah, you, absolutely. Would, would I don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you say that your NCO core then it's not as stressed or it's like the, 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 there isn't as much emphasis put on the NCOs in like the Chilean military? Well, that, that's a good question. I, I would say no, no, definitely no. Um, our, our NCOs is still like the backbone of every single uh, armed force and especially in this DSF, like, like officers, as, as uh, you could like imagine, were just uh, – uh, very little part of the force uh -huh. and and definitely these guys are, are, are like lifting the whole wave but then again um because of our i don't know what's the word in english like idiosyncrasia is it yeah, your, Spanish? Your, your idiosyncrasies your, yeah, yeah yeah latin america idiosyncrasy it's it's pretty much um it kind of draws a line between both both worlds but then you go into a set and there's not that 
like harder to line, I would say. Mm-hmm. So so it mixes, it starts mixing a lot, and the guys start taking a lot of uh, admin um, and leadership uh, roles as well. But then again, you're still uh, responsible for all the technical aspects of a training mission or whatever. So so it makes it very interesting how you like uh, how how each team. Uh, starts getting the job done, I would say. And then I've talked to my, when, when I was uh, with the teams uh, a year ago or so, um, when I was doing like men things, you know, um, the guys, it, it depends who you got as, as a team leader also. Cause, uh, Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. My, my, I remember one, some of my SEOs were like, yeah, yeah, I, I came from a team that was uh, not that much of a strong leadership or not that much of a technical leadership from the previous officer. So that the guys had to like pick up from there and, and start making sure that the guys were getting the proper training and, and the proper decision-making process, I would say, uh, due to the failures of that specific officer. Right. So... Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine that can be challenging. Mm. Very. Um. I guess I don't know how far I want to fast forward. Um, before we get to Columbia, um, what, what yeah. was that? What was that span of time like for you? Then you know, being on the team. I mean, I think you answered a little bit, but uh, being on that team and then nine eleven happens. Um, which I mean, did that even have a very big effect on you guys and your forces down there? Um. Yeah. 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 I reckon it, it had. Um... Well, I, I went through pipeline. I started my old five, so so you guys were already involved <clears throat> uh, over the global war on terrorism. <clears throat> Sorry, but uh, def- definitely shaped um, uh, a lot of our training, I would say, and and there was uh, a lot of influence on how we were doing things around here. And I re- I vividly remember how some, some training things started to shift a little bit based on lessons learned from you guys. Um, so yeah, there, there was definitely there was some influence, and not only for us. I've talked to like many of my Latin American peers, and and it, it's it's goes down like like it it, it starts uh, to disseminate uh, the information, and and you start learning things that you guys were living and and going through, uh, and it definitely affects training, and it definitely affects how you are uh, 
um, setting setting up units and setting up uh, dif- different scenarios. Um, so yeah, there was a, a, a lot of influence, I would say. Was there Thank ever? Uh, I mean, I don't know, uh, like the situation <clears throat> in S- Central and South America, but was there ever much a, a of a radical Islamic presence where that was a a concern? <clears throat> Or it was just like a possibility, like contingency planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much contingency planning, and at, at least up to my level, when I was uh, when I was uh, with the teams, uh, I wasn't aware that there was any any threat of uh, any Islamic terrorism around the area or anything. So, yeah. no. It's interesting. I, I was wondering if you could speak. I mean, you did a little bit, but speak towards the mm-hmm. relationship between. Uh, the United States and your country, specifically the relationship between our special operations guys and yours, and, and what that relationship looks like. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's um, a good question. Um, I would say, and this is of course my opinion. I would say that contrary to like the general, uh, 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 whatever is it like, like general thinking, uh, we share with the U.S. a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, training, I would say, but but it's it's not that big. Um, it's not that, uh, yeah, it's not that big, and it's not that. Uh, every, it's honestly every now and then. It's not a thing that we do um, regularly, I would say. Uh, but yeah, the, the, there is some training. There are some uh, every now and then. There is a uh, joint combined exchange training thing, and every now and then there is some courses uh, opening. Uh, but we get charged for everything, so we, we don't get <laughs> we don't get uh, scholarships or anything. So we have to pay for everything to you guys. So someone figured out, and over the State Department, that we, we pay for everything now. So um, yeah, so, so we get some training with you guys, absolutely, and, and you guys are the biggest influence around uh, Central Latin America, of course, um, more than the rest of the other countries. But yeah, so so we train us with, with you guys and. and as I said before, we learn a lot from from your uh, experience over over your war. So, so th- there is uh, some some information, uh, some friendship, and, uh, and and you know how is how the SF community is. I mean, you go to whatever country and someone recognizes us as SF, and there's some sort of weird bond. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, we do we do train with you guys every now and then. So, yeah. And then, what about like more local countries? Um, do you, do you guys have strong alliances with them that, that bring on a lot of joint exercises? Are there like, yeah. 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 I remember when I was uh, back with the teams, there was, uh, an increasingly, um, partnership with the, with the RGs, um, like the, well, we, we, we spoke a bit about this, like the Fuerza Comandos thing that we do with all the Latin American, Central American countries. So there is some partnership partnership going on. Um, I was super lucky, like to to meet uh, with a lot of uh, Latin American and, and uh, uh, SF from uh, our um, countries next to us, like the Peruvians, uh, the RGs, which are our neighbors. Um, so I was super lucky to like train with them, and, and and we became very close friends again. So so it's super nice to like this whole community thing. But at the bigger level, I, I, I'm not sure because because I haven't been with uh, with the teams for a while. So sure. I don't know if there's any anything going on there. Could you describe the uh, the international commando competition 
that all of you guys down in South Central America have? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, it's sponsored by you guys. So, so you guys were the the, the, uh, the South South, I believe, is, is the organization or uh, that, that uh, sponsor all these um, Fuerza Commandos uh, competition. And each country gets its turn as a hosting nation, and therefore it um, plans and it set up all the training scenarios for Fuerza Commandos. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so 2019 was our year, and, and, and we were the ones that were hosting um, Fuerza Commandos, and, and pretty much it's uh, 19 countries that uh, uh, compete against each other for the super top Latin American, uh, Central American tier, whatever uh, SF team. So, so it's pretty cool. There are some uh, countries that they like in, within Central America that they, they, they send their version of SWAT or something and, and they compete with those guys so so it, it's <clears throat> it's a pretty interesting competition and it's uh super hard physically uh wise and, and mentally wise and it comes with a rocking around 20 click march uh shooting there's a lot of shooting um sniper shooting uh close quarter combat shooting uh both uh rifle and and gun um there is a uh, Precision, freefall jumping competition there, um, and there's some room clearance competitions, and and then someone like every every now and then each country comes with a it's specific surprise uh, based on their benefit. So <clears throat> yeah, there there's some small competitions and some surprises there. So it, it's it's a nice uh, uh, it's a nice competition and it's a nice uh, opportunity to bring us all together. Absolutely. What what was what was Chile's surprise event? Uh, I don't remember. I think I think it had to do with something uh, with the, with Andes Mountain. I yeah. think that we took the guys up, 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 yeah, up to high ground because uh, high altitude. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we did something like that. Like, yeah, guess what? We're we're rocking at I don't know fifteen thousand feet or something. Yeah, there there's some countries that don't have that. So yeah, that's the other thing that'll break you. In addition to water, is is that that altitude? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's and super you, nice when you get to the peak. Like uh, it takes you like a few days, and then you get there. You, like that view, it's awesome. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I, I just have somebody take a photo and or, or <laughs> put me on FaceTime. FaceTime, send me the walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you said some of the countries basically field teams that that's all they do. That's that's they. Yeah, have, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and there's like no criticism on it. Like, like, but but our brothers from Colombia, they, they set up their team as a full time training team of SF guys, uh, just with that own, only purpose. And not like uh, rock stars in Colombia, um, because of uh, they just do that. I mean, they just go training the whole year and they go to the next competition. And of course, this was all before freaking COVID. But uh, yep, they guys yeah. train all year. So yeah, that'd be that, like putting that'd be like putting the leapfrogs or the, or the, uh, the golden Knights up against like, yeah, yeah, a, a, just absolutely. a soft, a yeah, soft yeah. halo team. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now that's, that's really interesting. I mean, do you, uh, is there a lot of outside of that competition? Is there a lot of like, uh, rivalry between, I, I heard from the seventh group guys that it's very competitive. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And how very competitive. But but you know what I mean I mean I don't know maybe it's just me because I had a, like 
uh, an, an awesome time with uh, with uh, with whoever was the chef and, and and we met either we was here in Chile or at their own country or uh, I don't know we were getting some whatever we were doing in the U.S. and, and we were like uh, bounce into each other and say, oh, you are from X country in Latin America. And you're saying, yeah, cool. Yeah, let's go and have a drink. So so it was super fun. I mean, uh, I, I, I made a lot of uh, friends and, and uh, relations there because of the, the only fact that we both went through some whatever pipeline it was. So how, how many yeah, bars? There's, how, a, there's hard competition, but, but there's also a lot of friendship there. How many bars get burnt down in general? Gathering that many parties were pretty fun. Well, yeah. Well, all, well, if, if you guys have, have you guys been to like Florida area, <laughs> yeah, uh, Fort Walton area. Yeah, yeah I, I reckon it's the same AJ's bar <laughs> that every single guy that goes over the that area starts burning it. Oh yeah. So, yep. Oh yeah. Been to AJ's. I, yep. So tell us about this mission uh, that you got assigned uh, to Columbia. I mean, start with you know yeah. how did how did that come about? Oh, so so it, it it wasn't it was not for SF I would say like it, it wasn't I wasn't sent there because I, I was an SF guy so it, I was a TDY for a full year to the UN actually so I was working for the UN when I when I went to Colombia uh, and um, and the UN you guys have had uh, some some guests that, that work in the mm -hmm. UN the, the UN it's a, it's a very interesting place to work um, and I was super lucky because I, I started like at the very lowest um, echelons of the organization and even though I was still at the very lowest I was able to like work some 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 other places so yeah so so there was this uh, effort uh, it was a, an international effort uh, due to the process that was being signed by the FARC leaders, the Colombian government as supported by the, co the international community through the United Nations. So these guys got together, they signed a peace agreement, which would mean that the FARC would have uh, X amount of time to the arm, demobilize and reintegrate to civilian society within Colombia. And uh, based on those facts, uh, there was this international effort uh, of sending international observers that would help and ease that process uh, since these guys have been fighting for like 50 years or 53 years, actually. So so I applied. I mean, when I saw it, I, I was like, uh, I read the email. I was like, yeah, I'm applying for this. Because um, I've always been fascinated by it. By, guerrilla warfare and like small team tactics and and this was the far guys i mean regardless of what what uh, everyone uh, could think about them it was the largest biggest longest guerrilla force uh within the world i mean it was the last biggest uh, guerrilla so so i had to be part of that so that's how it started and so you applied for this job, you got it, and I mean, what what was the job actually? What what were you to do over there? So yeah, so I was part of the second team that was sent there. So the first team was right at the beginning, uh, and it, the first team that went there were like, uh, yeah, they went to into Colombia and they started setting up uh, the places where these guys were going to handle their weapons. And in return, they would get a, a, a compensation package uh, from the Colombian government. 
saw the first team of international observers that went there. They were setting up um, these physical places uh, for them to arrive and start handling their weapons and then start living in a semi-permanent uh, camps. And then eventually, within the next X amount of time, years we're speaking here, they would reintegrate to society. So the first team went in. And uh, my peers were, were there for like around six months or so. They started coming back and then I was sent there. And it was, uh, I, I really loved it because it was uh, absolutely in, in individual um, deployment. So you just went in as a, as, as a one-man team. And uh, yeah, I arrived to Bogota. Uh, initial briefing was like a week or so. And then I was pushed to Medellin. And then from Medellin, like within 24 hours or so, I was sent to some other place in northeastern of Medellin. And there was uh, this uh, UN camp there, an army, Colombian army camp around like a clique or so. And then a clique or so to the other side, which is a fort camp. Um, and then we, we finished pretty much what the guys were doing before, like, but, but there wasn't any more weapons the guys were handling in. And um, so I became part of the very first teams to do weapons cache extractions within the jungle with uh, with the far guys. So so I was super lucky because of that. And um, yeah, I did that for around four or five months. And then the chief of staff of the mission uh, wanted one international observer. Uh, and uh, so I got that job. And then I was for the next moms i was doing hq work pretty much so i was doing some other stuff so so that's that's kind of so, a, the short version of it so you were going out with these farc members to, yeah. to locate their weapon caches out in the yep. jungle dude yep absolutely yeah 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 how how, so, how was that for you how was it for them did they was there a lot of resentment going on uh, well, uh, not against us at all, because because uh, I was I was part of like the international community through the UN, so so there, there was no resentment for us uh, against us. I would say um, there was a little bit still within the Colombian military and Colombian police uh, because of how long they've been fighting. I mean, fifty three years. Yeah, it's at at least two generations. Like like it, it's a long time, man. Uh, but when I got there, the, the, the guys were like working together, kind of ish. There were, uh, there, there were, there was not uh, a lot of uh, issues there, uh, at least not where I was uh, stationed. And uh, so, pretty much the conops for that was uh, we would uh, plan with the far guys uh, some uh, place within the jungle. And then a UN lit, uh, Russian leased uh, helicopter would pick us up. Um, then would drop us at some point within the that they would recognize as a place that they uh, use as uh, logistics caches points around. And then we spend the next seven days or so walking around the jungle with them, figuring out where where, where the weapons caches because the guys weren't using PS for the weapons caches process for them. There was just uh, this random guy that was like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I put all the weapons here," and and that, that's 
Wow. That's pretty much how it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was like amazing because it was like I was asking for grids, no grids at all. And the guys was like, um, yeah, around here. Yeah, let's start digging around here. And yep, that's the place. In this general area yeah. of the jungle. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I remember I remember one guy was like, uh, I, I became very close with the guys. Um, just at, like everything, like, like you become close to whoever after a couple of drinks, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so I was fascinated by, by their story and, and, and the, you know, small unit tactics applies to everyone uh, within those, uh, within those, uh, that, that little world, I would say. So um, I started talking to the guys like like every day, and and uh, and then so we went to these uh, weapons cassette extraction missions. Uh, the guys were pretty open with me at that point. So um, so yeah, we were looking for these uh, weapons cassettes, and yeah, I remember one of the guys saying, "You know what? Uh, I just don't remember when I buried um, like like my 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 stack of weapons because it was during the night. So let's wait until the night, and then it'll, it'll come back to me." And, and that's how we did it. I mean, we went, we waited there like for hours till there was no light at all. And the guy was like, yeah, I remember this river. Okay, let's go down. Yeah, I remember this tree. Okay. And like the old kid, like, like the little kids, what, the, what they play uh, uh, Pirate's Treasure. And yeah. they start counting. Yeah, yeah. He started actually that, counting. Okay. I was just wondering if they put their back to a tree and like yeah, pace yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah that, that's how it was. And the guy was like, yeah, it's here, so let's start digging. And we started digging, and now that it was a big-ass 2,000-liter uh, uh, bin, right, like the biggest bins. And, and we started to like, pull it out, and, yeah, it was full of AKs. So, yeah, it, it, is, it, it was like that. That's amazing. Now, were there, were there splinter groups or holdouts, you know, still in, out there that yeah. you guys had to worry about? Uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, there were, there was, uh, um, I, I, I don't know how much you, you guys know about, like, the Colombian guerrilla warfare-ish, uh, paramilitary scenery, but there is, when we were there, there were, it was the farm, which is the biggest one, and there were still, like, um, I reckon it was, uh, a thousand and something guys that didn't, uh, sign the, the, the peace, uh, agreement. So they just scattered, and they started reorganizing as uh, as their own guerrilla group right now. Uh, but that was just one uh, paramilitary or guerrilla group, because there were like uh, when I was there, uh, there were another fourteen or so uh, guerrilla groups, cells, or whatever is it, uh, all around the jungle. So so yeah, there was a lot of to to worry about. When you did get to know these FARC guys and we're having drinks with them, I mean, did you get to hear some of their war stories and there's some 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 of their perceptions of the conflict and the peace agreement? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, um, uh, it's it's super interesting. Like, uh, it's all based on uh, what's the word? Like, like your first impressions mm-hmm. and uh, your biases that you've got before, like actually doing something. Right. So of course I had biases before going over to Colombia, and and I read all these books about FARC and all these books about the Colombian military fighting FARC and and back and forth, um, and, and and it was like yeah okay so I, I was a little bit biased uh, when I went there, and I remember the first time that we drove uh, from Medellin to the this UN camp, right next to the FARC camp and the army camp, 
and we, we stopped the cars uh, at some random dining place for lunch or something. And, and like the whole UN team that they, those guys have been working for a while now. So I'm the new guy there. Um, they, they just grab some food and they just go and sit down uh, at some tables at this restaurant. Uh, so I, so I, there weren't any more, more chairs for me. So I, I just look around and I saw these, um, this other table that was with some of the guys that were driving the cars for us. Uh, there were uh, police, Colombian police. And like to an end of the table, there was this uh, this this gal, this girl, and she she was like super ginger, man. Like like, so I thought, oh okay. So of course she, she's UN, right? So I went, I grabbed my food, and I was like, hey, so uh, may I sit here? And she was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, so I, I picked up and that's some accent. So I, I thought, okay, so she's from around, and we started talking. So I, I, I like my first question was like, so how long have you been with the UN? And she was. She, she, she looked at me and she was like, what? Yes, how long have you been working for the UN? And she was like, yeah, I'm FARC. And I thought that she was going to be brownish like myself, right? Because Latin American and, 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 and no, she was a ginger, like in the middle of the jungle. And she was FARC. And um, I remember I got some coffee or something or some pastry or whatever. So we started talking over, over uh, lunchtime. And that was the first story that I heard about uh, someone that was uh, a far soldier, right, or, or, or guerrilla, or guerrilla uh, uh, guy. And uh, she was like, yeah, so, and, and I, was, I started asking random questions because I was like shocked. And he was like, so how, how long have you been? Cause she looked pretty young to me. And she was like, she was around 30-ish. And she was like, yeah, since I was uh, 13. I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I've been part of the FARC uh, since I was 13. And I was like, how, how, how does that work? I mean, and that was the first shocking story that I heard. And she told me that, um, so her parents were uh, farmers. And, and we're not talking like the way we do farmers or you guys do farmers. It's like a little farm in the middle of nowhere with uh, horrible connections. Um, within Colombia and, uh, and they were working just for living, um, growing like little things, having a couple of pigs and so on. And she was like, yeah, so when I became 13, uh, my papa was like, hey, you know what, there's a decision that needs to be made here. Either you become part of the, because he was a farmer, right? Uh, either you become part of a farc or we can take our chances and you can be a sex slave for the paramilitaries. Jesus. Yep. Yeah, that, that's it was shocking. And it was like, what? Yeah. yeah. So we talked, though, uh, like within her family and she was the only girl. And they were like, yeah, so the safest thing for you is just the next time a fog recruiter gets to our village, you just go with them because they'll take care of you. So, yeah, I was like, what? And, and, and so what, what were you doing? And she was like, yeah, it's just, so I just went with him. And uh, pretty much they treat her like family and, and she started cooking and she started doing some nurse uh, duties. And then when she was like, I reckon, bigger, like physically bigger, she was she became one of their one of the soldiers. So so that was my first story of art. Like, like, OK, so it's not what the books are, 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 are saying. Right. That's. And when you say paramilitary, it's just for... You're talking about like AUC? 
Yeah, 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 right. Like, like one of the one of the many many uh, paramilitaries. But there was the, the Colombians call them the paramilitares, which is the team that was well, yeah, the non-government military um, structure that was built to protect uh, certain uh, uh, certain well-known families, I would guess. That's how it started. And uh, and then it developed into a criminal organization uh, over there. So, yeah, the paramilitaries, were, which were previously uh, service members and police members, and then they turned into this whole mess as a, a criminal organization. Yep. And so they were running rampant, like, through the countryside, just doing their thing. Yeah, 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 pretty much. So so it's super weird how it works there. And, and, and like... Uh, pretty, if it was shocking for us, like being Chilean and coming from from this side of the world, I, I reckon it was even worse if, if you guys were there because it's hard to understand the way they're living on, on certain areas over there. And then, like you guys have been to Colombia, you see like these biggest cities and like well developed uh, uh, society, and and it's actually a super nice place to be around. But then we start moving um, inland, I would say you start realizing that there is no presence of the state on a lot of these little towns and villages. Uh, my opinion is that it's basically due to lack of uh, infrastructure uh, that they've got, which is one of the things that I would say um, it, it, it's uh, one of the adding factors to the equation that the, it's super hard to move around big cities and they get to these little towns and villages like roads are are pretty shitty and and so it's hard and, and because it's it's jungle it's very hard to like uh, build uh, run runways um, so th- there's that important fact that there are no police there's no hospital there's like no schooling up in this area so well I, you guys have been to like Afghanistan and things like that imagine that but within a lowerish level and full of uh, trees i would say so, right it's, so it's it's both jungle and mountainous terrain at the same time yeah 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 it is so so it, it's interesting at the beginning it's very shocking to to understand the society society aspect the social aspect of it um so yeah that, that was one of the very uh, first thing that i was shocked about and i, I started building you know um, another sense of what was going on in Colombia uh, that was completely different uh, before I got there. That's pretty incredible. And yeah, it is. And so after hunting around these uh, these weapons caches uh, out in the jungle, you said you did some some work in the headquarters for a little while before uh, heading back home. Yeah, so I did that for around four months or so, which I, I really enjoyed it. And and there was uh, and the team that I had at this uh, camp, it was awesome because there was a Spaniard SF, Portuguese SF, and RGSF. So it was super lucky for me because all the guys were SF. And it, we even had a Cuban SF guy uh, really? over there. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a super fun guy. And, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, so we, we talked a lot with him. And, and then you understand how, how Cuba it is. From the other side, I would say, yeah. Um, so, so it was an awesome team, and that team was led by a UN uh, officer. She was a female. She was a uh, a Brit. Um, she, she had spent most of her 
at life as a UN uh, officer, I would say, field officer. And, and uh, yeah, so she was our boss and we were the ones that uh, doing the, the heavy lifting and she was all doing all the political aspect of the mission and all the, most of the admin thing working, I would say, so work there at the camp. So it was, it was very interesting and, and I had a lot of time with those guys. So with, with these guys, we'd take turns. So, so we built uh, for weapons cache extractions, two men team. And plus the four guys, plus some Colombians that, that would uh, be there with us, and and then would move move around the jungle on this uh, biggest uh, Mi eight, I believe it was a helicopter. So, yeah, so I did that for four-ish months or so, and then uh, I received a call that there was um, a position that was opening at HQ in Bogota. Uh, and they needed a someone like from whatever Latin American country. They didn't want some someone from Europe uh, that could speak English. And so I got an interview, phone interview uh, with a German HR uh, gal that was uh, doing all the positioning over there. And then I was moved from the jungle to Medellin um, a couple of days there. Another interview uh, got an air ticket to move to Bogota. That next morning and then another interview with the chief of staff which which, uh, turned out to be uh then my boss for the next uh seven months or so and he was super cool he was a british former army guy and he spent the last 12 years as a un guy so so we, we became very close also and i learned a lot so i was working there doing all these uh it was random little works i would say it was a bit of operations it was a bit of uh human resources. Um, it was a bit of liaising with uh, New York over the International Observers Force. And uh, yeah, and then it was another incredible learning experience for me. It's awesome. And then back home, I mean, once back, uh, back at the home station, how did uh, you continue on with your special operations career? Uh, yeah, so it, it, it was kind of a hold uh, for that whole year. Um, and then, nah, it, it wasn't like very hard at all. I mean, they moved a, a, a guy to my team and then I came back, took leave for like a month maybe or so. And then back to reality, I would say back to the teams and getting current on every single portion of the training, uh, that's required, uh, which it's super hard again. It's. Uh, a year that you haven't done anything, like no free falling, no, no, no jump mastering, no diving, no anything. So you just go around back again, getting your qualifications uh, back and getting current again, I would say. Yeah. And those but, skills, yeah, a, a lot of those skills degrade pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, I, there's some of them, I would say, like not all of them, um, in my opinion. Um like free falling, I reckon it's it's pretty much like riding a bike. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. The, the, the hardest one I remember like doing was uh, diving and, and, and underwater navigation. Uh, it was it took me a while. Um, mountaineering was the one that took me a while. Also, like uh, ice climbing, I would say it was it was hard again. Uh, but yeah, I mean. It, the, the guys like 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 the sergeant that I had, they were awesome. So so they were like super quick on 
uh, getting me back up to speed on those uh, currencies, yeah. and then back to training again, and then looking for whatever comes uh, next on that uh, the next adventure, I would say. Uh, Jackson, one of our viewers, asks if you ever worked with the Seventh Group SIF team, uh, and if you did, what your thoughts were. Yeah, I worked with the Seventh. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love the, the guys from Seventh. Um, there were different teams. I reckon that that they were uh, that we were doing training with them. Um, came, to, yeah, I came came very close with some of them, and then mo most guys, especially right now, like from the Seventh, they come from a either first or second generation uh, from Latin American countries. So they speak perfect Spanish. It's easy for, for our guys uh, on, on, uh, getting, getting the, the, their lessons from, from them due to that fact that they're very proficient in Spanish, I guess. And uh, yeah, I, re I really love the guys from Seventh, uh, super professional guys and, and super fun guys. And yeah, I, I even met some of the guys that, I work here, and I met them in Colombia when I was there. So that's how, how close we were. And and just for for our edification, what are some of the biggest problems with American Special Forces? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. One. That's a good. One. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there were some some issues that we had to take care of you know, <laughs> under the radar. I would say. Uh, yeah, well, you, you guys should know the drill. There's some heavy drinking involved, I would say, in this process of uh, building uh, international partnership, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, the yeah, drinking is heavy uh, on, on that part, and that's how, uh, yeah, it, it was good. But, yeah, yeah, I remember, like, uh, we had one guy that there was a, kind of a, a big issue. It wasn't, like, nothing serious or anything, but one guy drag a whole bunch of dogs into a five-star hotel here in Chile. And it was like dogs that he had found in the street. So they were like uh, with the fleas and everything. So that was like everyone was complaining about it the next day morning. And that was after drinking, of course. But yeah. Dr. Doolittle. And, and, and how many times did you have to go to the police station with credentials in order to get those guys out of jail? <laughs> Not that many, honestly. Uh, not that many. Uh, I, I, yeah, but there were a few. Honestly, there were a few, and there were like more than a few that I had to pick up my guys and like, like, yeah, I figured it out. Some, 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 yeah, doing some relations because uh, over here, like uh, our police uh, force, uh, they just, they just don't care if you are like whatever rank within the military. They just don't care. So yeah, that's funny. That's what, funny. What do you see as the future of? your country's special operations forces. What directions are you moving in? What security threats do you think you're moving to counter in the next decade? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, I'm not really sure, uh, Jack, about it because uh, I haven't been involved with the guys for a time now. So so I've been doing my, my own things. Uh, but I reckon the, um, or my opinion would be the, um, the, I just love optimization. Uh, so I, I think that everything like with inflation and the economy, it's a worldwide thing that's going on. So I think that the challenges are not operational. I would think that the challenges that the challenges that not only us, but like uh, every single small unit that's demanding budget from uh, whatever government is, um, it faces the reality of being necessarily 
needing to optimize all its process and making more of that uh, pesos in, in, in our reality uh, worthwhile uh, for, for, for the society. So I reckon that that's, that's the next big step. Just proving the the capabilities worth to the policymakers yeah. and the, yeah, absolutely. The, and, and 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 then there is this. Um, then again, this is my opinion, I guess. But uh, I think that you have to prove that you are able to do something if it's required, uh, as in combat wise. But then again, you need to prove yourself that if that you are able to help when uh, society and your uh, and your government requires it. Mm-hmm. I've seen like uh, earthquakes because we've got a whole bunch of earthquakes and around tsunamis. here. Tsunamis, Vol- volcano eruptions. Uh, so it's, there's all these uh, natural disasters that we, we we have to face every now and then. So I reckon that due to specifics of um, SF, there's a whole bunch of things that uh, the guys can do uh, when they're needed within the natural disaster scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sort of a rescue and relief kind of function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot like like I I, I can go for for like plenty of uh, mind scenarios that uh, the units can uh, perform and can actually deliver uh, for for people that are in need within those uh, natural disaster scenarios. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The uh, New Zealand SAS did that a couple of years ago when there's a volcano eruption. And it just sounded like a hellacious mission. They had to wear like full protective suits and go through all this volcanic ash to recover um, the remains of civilians yeah. who died in the, in, the, in the volcano eruption. Yeah, and it just sounds like remember, it was a grueling mission for them. Yeah, I remember uh, like when I was super young, there was this huge uh, ter- uh, uh, earthquake. I was going to say terremoto, but whatever. So, yeah, we had this huge earthquake. It was, it was uh, 2010, I believe it was, and it was the first time that. Uh, we did, uh, I, I did uh, body recoveries and it was down south. So down our southern area, it's pretty much like uh, your Alaskan area, right? But with fjords. So it's full of a uh, little um, sea passage uh, around little islands. And there was a big earthquake and it pulled a big tsunami into certain uh, villages and, and it just wiped them off. And uh, yeah, my team was sent there, and, and, and we started uh, diving. And when we realized that how limited our diving capabilities were, because the, the the fjords were anywhere, like you would go from uh, uh, maybe a meter depth, uh, two meters, fifty meters, twenty meters, and then it would drop all the way to three hundred meters. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's not much you can do. So we, whatever, we, we were diving there and we started uh, looking for, for, for bodies and, and we find a few of them. And, and then I realized that, yeah, there's a lot of potentials for for Chilean SF uh, under those uh, uh, scenarios. So, so yeah, there, there's a lot of that, we, that, that, that the guys can now, now do about uh, and, and, and help with our, with our capabilities. Yeah. Does does Chilean SF go, sort of go through like phases because you guys have been fortunate to have, you know, to not have real threats, uh, you know, or regional threats. Yeah. So so do does Chilean SF go through phases where you're fighting for your budget, where you go through, you know, oh, yeah. uh, times when you're downsized and then grow again, things like that. 
Well, um, at least when I was in, not on on, on the on the numbers of uh, of the force, I would say. But yeah, definitely you have to fight for for budget. So so right. every, every single year, I, I guess it's it's it, when I when I was with the teams, uh, I would definitely uh, fight for budget and, and and getting as much as I could within our reality. So so yeah, that there is a lot of that. I have a uh, kind of a question I, I, to ask out of curiosity, if nothing else. So Chile has a uh, a part of the Antarctic territory. And I was wondering yeah, if your if your special operations forces do any training in Antarctica, or if there's any missions they have to be you know on call to respond to down there. Yeah, so that, that's an awesome question. No, no, there there isn't an agreement for Antarctica, which is a no uh, demilitarized. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the word. Yeah, definitely no. There is no militarization of Antarctica within the, all the countries. Uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of countries. I mean, all the way from Russia to the U.S., the Aussies, uh, us, the RGs. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of countries that, that share the territory. And there's a, an international agreement for, for non-militarization of the Antarctica at all. So, no, we don't do any training or, or responses there. Except uh, I know that there's some guys that are called for SAR purposes, but that's about it. What's SAR? Oh, you mean like search and rescue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and we have a question from Patreon. Uh, Isaac asked, uh, "Have the Chilean special operations community ever had uh, to have assets in the drug war?" Um, I, I don't think so. No, not that I know at all. No, I, I, my, my when I was there, no, I would say. What What do you think separates? Because in in you know in a number of countries around you or near you, I wouldn't say directly around you, but near you, you know, they have had a number of issues with internal strife and things like that. What do you think sets uh, like Chile apart, where where there hasn't been sort of that Marxist Leninist influx or the problems with like drug mogul, you know, those types of things. Mm, that's a good. That's a good one. I I'm not sure. My guess would be like we are so far away from uh, from everything. Uh, the, there are some books that they call Tilian Island because of how far and how isolated we are from the rest of the world due to like Andes Mountain and to the super dry desert up north, um, and then the whole coast uh, over, over the west. And Antarctica on the south, so so it seems that we're very isolated, and and, and we don't uh, get any as much as the issues that the rest of the world gets. And then again, I think it's because uh, uh, culturally speaking, we're a bit different. I would say uh, because of the same fact that it's just my opinion because we're more isolated, and we tend to be more, uh, you know. We'll, focus on our own issues and not on the issues, the world issues, I would say. Um, and then we don't get that much of, uh, of threats um, uh, on, on this part of the world. Yeah. And then uh, Isaac also asked, you know, uh, instead of assets, but like, have you guys ever been called to assist like partner nations uh, for like drug wars or for internal strife? No, no, not not that I know, and, and not on the fifteen years that I was with the teams at all. Uh, I reckon that there, there were a couple of uh, international uh, efforts uh, for for like um, under the UN for Cyprus, uh, Haiti, 
Um, I think the, the, there was something going on in, during the 80s uh, within the um, Peruvian Ecuadorian war after it. So, but that's about it. I mean, not, 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 not something like, not recently at all. Right. And those are more part of the international community than as a partner force conducting actual military operations. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, every single time that I've been aware of, the guys go around uh, under a U.S. Uh, resolution. Yeah. UN, yeah, UN resolution, yeah. So, John, tell us a little bit about where you're at today, what you have going on. Um, I know you've talked to me a little bit about, you know, kind of your transition to civilian life uh, or trying or starting up your own company. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, yeah. So uh, transitioning, uh, it's been quite interesting, I would guess. Uh, Well, you guys went through it. So, um, yeah, there there was just I I still miss the teams. I mean, honestly, I, I, I. it is. I reckon it's a love and hate relation. It, well, you guys can think that you guys can relate to it. Um, but yeah, so there was a, this point when when I had to like do something else. Um, so I always thought about doing my own thing, and uh, so yeah, I built my own training company a few months ago. Um, so it's still a small thing. We're doing uh, weekend shooting classes uh, to civilian and, and, and to uh, different uh, people that, that want to learn how to shoot and uh, properly shoot. So, so it's not something like uh, funny or some whatever instructor that's telling them how to shoot. So we hired only tier one guys from here. Um, and, and we have been training people on, on those uh, those techniques, I would say. So, yep. So I looked at the model, business model that uh, a lot of uh, former U.S. Uh, Special Forces guys were doing, and we started to develop uh, the same business model with the adaptations that were required for our uh, uh, for our specifics uh, business environment here. And we build uh, what's called uh, Stodic. I don't know if you guys remember Stodic. Yeah, it's yeah. uh there's a special operations target interdiction yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I always wanted to go to go to that school, but then I realized that there was there wasn't any any more Sodic school. <laughs> it's uh, well they so, just changed the name. It's called the Special Forces Sniper School or Sniper Course now. Yeah, yeah. I talked to one one of uh my, my seventh uh uh sniper friends and he told me so that the guys changed the name and, and it was just a name change, the the course yeah, still yeah. around. Because nobody, yeah, well, because nobody knew what targeted interdiction meant, dude. That's a cool name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So, I met some. So, I started knocking some doors, um, and then I met a couple of guys uh, that had some business experience, and that they were able to understand the business model I, that I was presenting to them. And this took me like honestly like four to five months. So, it, it was like before we started the business. So, it was a whole new thing that I was. Uh, uh, doing and so I started knocking doors and I'm trying to find someone that would partner with me and that would bring something to the table so I met this couple of guys and the, these guys were awesome and I explained the business model and then we came up with a Zodic so but it's we changed it the last C instead of course so I changed it for company so it's special operations target interdiction company and uh, so, yeah, so we, we build uh, Zodiac Academy, uh, zodiacademy.com, uh, actually. So we own that, that place, and, and, and that's our uh, small tactical business that we're building. 
Are you hoping to, um, you know, like the the American model, I guess, is there certain companies like, uh, I mean, there's tons of them. Mid-South is one of them. Um, Blackwater was one of them back in the day where they were bringing in actual special operations units and training them at these civilian uh, training academies or training sites. Is that something you're interested in doing for your military? Uh, yeah, we, we would like to, but th- there, then it's it's complicated because there's a whole bunch of uh, legal red tape that you got sure. that you got to figure out, and especially here. I mean, if you guys think that you get it complicated, like to buying a gun, like try to buy a gun over here. It's just uh, it's crazy. Uh, you still can. So we we try to facilitate that process for for people. Uh, they want to own a gun, like farmers and, and people, business owners, and, and then we teach them how to properly uh, use their weapons uh, on a defensive uh, a protection mode uh, for, for them. And so, so it's not something like, like crazy or anything. It's just the proper uh, adjust to reality uh, use of weapons. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it is, it is, it's one of the things that we're looking to grow. And, and I think that we will be able uh, to, to uh, manage that the legal red tape here. And if we are able, I'll, I'll definitely try to expand the business model to our uh, partner nations uh, and, and like leveraging on the fact that we have built this relation with foreign uh, Latin American, Central American, SF, to like uh, build uh, some partnership with them. So, so we're looking for that in the next year or so. So you guys are offering like right now low light shooting, defense shooting, fundamental shooting, survival. That would be great, and and shotgun basics. Yeah, um, yeah I'd go, I'd yeah, go yeah. down there and do the survival course. Yeah, as long as I get to yeah. like sleep in a bed. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you if, if there's a hotel involved, a good if there's a hotel involved in the survival course, I would definitely do it. <laughs> you tell Dave, Dave and I are like we're totally out of it now. We've been out of the game for quite a while. As long as I can stay in a hotel night and I don't have to walk far to learn how to survive in the wilderness. Dave, we can definitely build you a five star seer experience here at the top top hotels. But yeah, we can definitely do that for you, and, and we're looking forward for it. Yeah, so yeah. Hey, do. folks, I've put the link in the chat. Um, but if you're listening to the podcast, it's sodicacademy.com. And, and here's yeah, the deal, right. like use us as a destination training, right? Like go down to Chile, hang out, have fun, like, you have know, a few beers. And, and yeah, like it's better than going to Arizona Dude, or going be, to North cool. Carolina or whatever. Nice. Go, if you, if you, yeah, if you want to come over, we can definitely set you up like, like with a whole training touristic experience here. Cause there's like a whole bunch of wineries thing, a lot better than the Californian ones. And, and I, I don't want to like offend anyone, but our wine is a lot better. And, um, yeah, so we can definitely build something. I've done it before, like for, for some uh, British clients that came over and they just loved it. And it was an awesome experience for some Germans that came over. I haven't done it for, for, for the uh, U.S. Uh, clients, but yeah, it, it is it is quite an experience. And as I said before, we are super blessed because we have all these, uh, uh, these, all these uh, topographic uh, weatherish and... and, and uh, places around within uh, our own country, so so it's still uh, super affordable to to uh, get to those places within a couple of days. So it's not like traveling a few days to get to whatever. So it's actually super nice, and and it's been a wonderful experience to like 
get into the business uh, side of things and, and trying to like pitch um, uh, clients. And we're looking to pitch for uh, what I call tactical angel investors to build something bigger and, and that can go uh, off our borders uh, if we are able to. So I think that it's it's something that it will get bigger within within the a year or two. So well, it depends on how many how much money we can raise. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's what I've been now, doing for the last months or so. These types of companies are pretty frequent. Like you have a lot of tier one guys in the United States who get out and start these companies, and they're and they're all great companies. And there's there's a wide range of of selections. Except for the ones that try to take over Venezuela. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. It, it was live stream on on Facebook. I think it was like yeah, you know, uh, so much for operational <laughs> security, right? Opsec, um, but uh, yeah, but in in Chile, is is this kind of a normal venture for tier one guys no. to do? No, no, not it's a, at it's all. It's an undeveloped market. Yeah, it, it yeah, it's definitely a blue chip. I would say because it's not. Um, it's not so well. I was because uh, it's different because uh, we don't get this much of a um, we 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 don't get this much of a, some guys that are trying to build their own business. So, so they're just a few, yeah. and even fewer uh, that come from from the SF community. So so I was super lucky because I, I I had some time. At one of our units, so I was able to go back to college. So I went to like night night school. I don't know if you guys got that. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, I went. Uh, so I got a civilian uh, industrial engineering degree, and mm-hmm. I love the business part uh, that they were teaching us there. So that's how, how it started, and, and I started building uh, ideas back then. That's good. And, and now that I, I I was I was not related to the teams, and I, I was uh, legally able to do so. I start building this Sodic uh, um, Academy idea, and uh, and we'll see where, where it takes us. So, so I'm super excited about about the future of the company. Did um, Did you get any detention while you were in night school? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. It was awful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So but, old yeah. habits die hard. The military didn't yeah, beat that out of you. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a moment here also to plug our our own endeavors. Uh, if you guys look down the description to this video, there's a link to our Patreon. If you want to support the stream, there's uh, you'll get access to two bonus episodes per month, plus also hundreds of hours of bonus segments. The link's down in the description, and we really appreciate you guys who support the stream and keep this whole thing going. And please make sure that you're subscribed to the channel if you haven't already. It's free to subscribe. Uh, hit the bell icon so you get notified whenever we go live. And, uh, you know, spread it around. Tell hey. your wife. Tell your kids. Tell the dog. Yeah, definitely check out definitely check out uh, John's site at SodicAcademy.com. Like, and seriously... That's an Thanks, awesome. Man. That's an That'd awesome destination vacation. You know what I mean? It, it's, yeah, sure. It's um, it is it is absolutely it is, and we can set everything for you guys, and it's still like a safe place to visit within within this side of the world. So, and and we've got a, a huge infrastructure around here in Chile. I mean, it has developed in, in in the last fifty years or so. So so it's it's a good, cool place to visit and to like do something fun. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much. And if you guys want to shoot me an email, it's uh, what's the company? So I mean, it's a uh, training cell at sodicacademy.com. Then you can contact me directly. I open that email. And, uh, uh, 
all day. And just to reinforce this point, like we we're not looking at a virtual background right now. We are looking at oh, no. the skyline. Yeah, it, it is it is February, right? What's the temperature there right now, John? Dude, it's an awesome temperature. Well, let, let me open my conversion because I we do it on uh, Celsius, right? So yeah. I reckon it's a nice twenty-two, seventy-one point six. All right, nice. it's yeah. February, it's seventy-one point <laughs> six. So if if you need any encouragement to go to Chile to take a shooting yeah, course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is the background of uh, Santiago at this time. So oh, it's, it's awesome, dude. It's a super nice place, and it's warm, and it's. Super nice around. John, can, can I can I ask you to stick around for the bonus segment for, uh, for a couple minutes, like 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It'd be an honor. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And folks, everyone, thank you for coming and joining Dave and John and I and having this conversation tonight. Um, thanks for joining us. And next Friday, uh, we're going to have Koo Stadler on. He is the author of Recce. Uh, he was a, a recce in our, on a recce team in the South African Defense Forces. And I read this book a few years ago. Really, really cool. Um, some really crazy stories in here. So um, we're looking to talk into him next Friday. We had a couple more comments real quick. Uh, BPA Izzy, thank you very much. Thank you for the very generous donation. He said, great insight on another foreign partner. And we do appreciate it, John. I mean, it's it's awesome. Thanks. And, uh, it, it was an honor. Thanks so much. And David Shaw, uh, thank you. He said, thanks, guys. Well, thank you, David. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, John. You're awesome. Um, thank, thank you, you, everyone, who joined us tonight, and we will see you guys next Friday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.